You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome and a happy Friday to you. Welcome to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. Producer extraordinaire, the co-host with the most. Looking like he's ready to fight some Mortal Kombat type stuff. James Mesh. Well, what's up with the, the headband slicking the flow back, bro? Oh, I just, I, I really do like headbands. I wore it a lot before you got here. I just haven't worn it recently. I just decided I don't have my hat, so I'm going to just wear it. <laughs> it's been it's been a minute. That's fair. It's, it's always in my bag. I just never whip it out. That's fair. That's fair. All right, Friday fun show. Today, it's going to be another short show. We get out at 540 once again because of the Houston Astros' first pitch at 6.10. Today's show, we're going to talk a lot of college football again because what else do you talk about in the middle of August? Fall camp getting underway. We'll talk about all of that. We'll talk about the Hall of Fame game last night and how much of a disaster that was if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, We will also do a preview of the Champa Bay Buccaneers. Or at least that's what they used to call themselves. The Chumpa Bay. Um, David Harrison, the host of Locked on Bucks, will join us to talk about the Bucks for the Saints. And then at 5 o'clock, it wouldn't be a Friday without Jake Crane. Jake's takes. Jake Crane's going to come on hot off the press of Crane and Company to do his weekly segment with us where we're going to get his inside scoop on just about everything. Poll question of the day. What is your favorite Saints memory? Is it Super Bowl 44? Is it the rebirth game? Is it when Drew breaks the passing yards record? Or is it when Aaron Brooks miraculously led the Saints to a playoff win? Let us know, Facebook and Twitter, if you want to get in on that. On the hotline, 706 Wide open when there's not a guest, so let us know what you have to say. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. So, James, you know, we always try to pick one topic to, to talk about right off the top of the show. That's, that's way too tough. It, 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 right. that's, that's way too tough. It, it's very difficult. However, I found one. Okay. What you have for me? Justin Verlander uh-huh. is not a human. Cyborg. He is not a human. So the man is 39 years old. He is a year removed from Tommy John surgery. And he's arguably having... What, oh, it's a the lot best of year of his career. It's the best year of his career. No, there's, there's no question about it that he is having the best year of his career. Do you he have is, the stats to... To back it up, he is fifteen and three, yeah, with a one point seven three ERA. He's pitched one hundred and thirty innings. 
He has 127 strikeouts. He has a whip of .854 on the year. Now, strikeout-wise, I don't know that this is is not going to be the best year of his career. Because in 2019, he had 300 strikeouts. So strikeout-wise, he's not going to hit. But in terms of ERA... For, and this is we're, we're talking about a full season here because if you look at 2017 when he split half the year between the Tigers and the Astros, he only pitched 34 innings with the Astros that season. So obviously you know we're not gonna we're not gonna look at that but outside of that season, this is the lowest ERA that he has put up. And it's really not close. In 2011, when he won the MVP, he put up a 2.40 ERA. He's at 1.73. And now I know what some people are about to say. Well, you know, the season's not over yet. It's fair. That's true. But the way the numbers are trending, if he can keep this up, he is well on his way to winning his third Cy Young. And if that's the case, I mean, what what more can you say about the guy? What more? I mean, uh, again, 39 years old, one year removed from Tommy John, he's got 8.8 strikeouts per nine innings. He's putting up the lowest walks per nine in his career at 1.6. He's only giving up .8 home runs per nine. He's giving up about six hits a game. Um, He's got... He's only hit four batters this year. He's only walked 23. He's given up 12 home runs. Teams have only scored 33 runs on him this season. And of that 33, only 25 of them were earned. In 130 innings, he's only given up 88 hits. That's not even a hit an inning. And and the the point that I can't stress enough is the fact that he's doing this one year removed from Tommy John. A surgery that has ended people's career. It's absolutely incredible what he's been able to do this season and... You know, he, he pitched against the Guardians last night in that 6 nothing victory for the Astros. He went six scoreless innings to get his 15th victory of the year, which leads the majors. Five strikeouts, he walked one batter. His offense backed him up. Well, I say his offense backed him up. Chaz McCormick and Martin Maldonado backed him up. You look at the scoring summary. McCormick reached on an infield single to score Alvarez. McCormick singled to right center. Maldonado doubled. McCormick homered. Maldonado homered. Chaz McCormick and Maltine Maldonado did it all last night for the Houston Astros. And then Justin Verlander, and then you had three relievers come in. Will Smith pitched an inning. Ryan Stanek pitched an inning. And Phil Maton pitched an inning. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Astros are red hot. Because they're five and six in their last eleven, that's not great. However, this goes to show you, and James, I'm going to bring you in with your opinion 
after I make this point. Yes, the Astros are 5-6 and six in their last 11. However, they still hold an 11.5 game lead in their division. I mean, that pretty much goes to show you that maybe they have kind of fallen off a little bit after that Yankees doubleheader, but they're still... I mean, they're the second best team in baseball. They were riding a little too high, I would say. I mean, they, they were a little too high up there after re- really giving it to them to the Yankees. But, I mean, it's, you're always going to have a cold spot at this point. You play 162 games. You're going to have some cold spots somewhere. You're going to have a, a couple series where you're like, golly, I really wish I had that back. But it, overall, in the whole scheme of things, it you're not really worried about it. The, right now, it's, it's a blemish, but... You you still got new players. You're coming off pretty much a week off because of the All Star, and you got the draft. You just got a whole bunch of new players, and one of them being a left-handed reliever. Yep. While you're getting rid of one of your starters because you probably had too many starters. You had too many starters. You, Especially you could, once McCullers comes back, you had too many starters. Like you you could get rid of one or two of them. Right. You, you don't have to worry about that. So, and you get and you got Mancini and you got Vasquez. I mean. You made some good moves. And you just need a little bit of time to for them to mesh together. Other than that, I'm not worried about it. You're still 69 and 38. You're, oh, you're yeah. still way ahead of the Mariners. Unless there's an utter collapse and then just the Mariners just become the greatest team of all time. Go on another 14-game win streak. Like, right. it's, not, it's not likely. Let, let's be honest with one another. Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. Um, this is what's interesting to me. You, let's look at the the statistics leaders around the MLB. Paul Goldschmidt leading in the batting average category at three thirty two. Justin Verlander, we talked about that winning the the wins competition at fifteen. He also leads the earned run average at one point seven three. Aaron Judge. This is that's that's a topic that I want to get to. Aaron Judge has 43 home runs so far on the year with, I don't know. He's leaving everyone in the dust. Two months left to play. Two months left to play. Now, if you look at the history, you look at the history books for baseball, only eight players have hit 60-plus home runs in a season. And technically, not even eight players. It's happened eight times. Sammy Sosa did it three times. Is it likely to... The highest active is Giancarlo Stanton, who hit 59 in 2017. Does Aaron Judge get to 60? I think he does. You can't tell me that that man's not hitting 17 home runs in the next two months. If he stays healthy, absolutely he's hitting 60. Because you got 50 games left to go? Something like that, for, yeah. For, for the Yankees? And you only you now, get, getting 17 in those. Now, is he catching bonds? No. No. You're not catching 73. You're not catching 73 in a season. But are you getting in that 60 category? Yeah. 65? Maybe. You might catch McGuire right there at fourth. I think he gets. I think he gets sixty with two games to spare. And then, you know what's going to happen when he gets sixty? One, one or two games to spare. He's gonna get 
paid. Granted, he's going to get paid already. But he's really going to get paid. And if the Yankees don't do it, because let's be honest, the Yankees have a history of trying to cheap out. They bring in the best prospects they could possibly find and they mold them into these legendary players. But then when it comes time for, for contracts, they get a little stingy. They do. I would not be surprised if the Yankees tried to cheap him out and he walks. I don't think they cheap out that much. I don't think so either. I don't think it'll be enough for them to. I don't I don't for, see that for for judge to walk. I don't see that happening either, but I I'm they know I don't know. I just I see I see something going down with that whole debacle. Oh my god. What you got? <laughs> just reading these comments on Facebook from our poll question. So Rob Duplachan says he has to go with the rebirth. Understandable. But this is where things take a turn. Neil Borlaw says when Kyle Turley beat Damian Robinson with his helmet, then the Tracy Porter picks six. I saw somebody texted me the other day. We were talking about Trevor Pinning. Yeah. Yeah. So, I saw it on Instagram where they showed Turley just yeah. and then <laughs> yeeting the helmet to somebody, the opposite sideline. Somebody texted me. They said Pinning equals Turley 2.0. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Oh, no. Please, no. Please no, and and that's funny because Kyle Turley was one of my favorite players, just because I mean the dude the dude was an animal, he was an absolute animal. Um, yeah, you know Rob Duplasham commented on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, he said, "I know people are going to vote Super Bowl, but the rebirth was just so dang cool." And then John Paul says, "The it, rebirth it gives, game it gives me goosebumps every time I watch it." The rebirth game versus the Falcons and the block pump by Steve Gleason it set the tone of the team and was the catalyst that created the team we know and love today. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. If it wasn't for Steve Gleason, I mean, would the Saints have ever won a Super Bowl? Would the Saints still be a contender? Would I even be in love with football? Would I even be here? I don't know. Interesting to think about it that way. That, and it and it's crazy to think about stuff like that, especially just looking at any trade almost. Like like some like some just some moves. Yep. I remember there was a they were talking about QBs. I, I think it was if if one QB, I forgot who it was, it might have been something like Peyton. Actually it was Peyton. Because like what if Peyton didn't go to to Denver? What if Peyton went to, it was like the Cardinals or went to the Titans? Then that completely changes everything for the Titans. What if Miami's doctors would have cleared Drew Brees? Yeah. Nick Saban would, Nick Saban probably wouldn't Nick be Nick Saban would have never gone to Alabama. He'd still be the coach of the Dolphins and they'd probably have five Super Bowls. Saints maybe in, where were they looking to relocate? Oh, uh, I don't remember. Was it Houston? It might San Antonio. Have. There it is. Yeah. San Antonio. I knew it was, I knew it was somewhere in Texas. San Antonio. That's like, where it was. It's, it's just crazy what one slight move oh, yeah. changes. And it was the same thing with oh, this is what it was. It was Aaron Rod er, Andrew Luck. What if Andrew Luck didn't retire? What if he stayed for another year and didn't like surprise everyone and you had to live with Jacoby Brissett for the season? 
then Philip Rivers probably would have retired or would have stayed with the Chargers. You probably wouldn't have gotten Tyrod Taylor, and you might not have drafted Justin Herbert. Yep, because you still had you still had Rivers for another year or two, and then Carson Wentz wouldn't be he wouldn't have he wouldn't have gone to Philly, then go to Washington, and then Nick Foles. I don't know what would have happened. There, there's just an infinite oh, yeah. possibilities if just one thing, one changes. little move, absolutely, it, absolutely, c- crazy space time and continuance all messed up. What you think about TJ Carey working out for the Saints today? <sighs> to me, it's like a Cortland Finnegan situation or like a Champ Bailey, where it's like, cool, we'll we'll have you here. Uh, you're probably not going to make the roster though. Let's be honest. We got a lot of younger talent. The Niners worked out two receivers. D.D. Westbrook and Willie Sneed. And then the Steelers worked out Jalen Richard and Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman in Pittsburgh could be a sneaky good move. That could be a sneaky good decision for the Steelers to back up guys like Najee Harris. Because Gallman's still young, had a good career. Clemson showed some flashes with the Giants. And he's he's got a lot of life left. That could be a good move by the Steelers. Let's go to the phone lines, to the game hotline, 706-0111. Halftime's calling in. Halftime, what's up? I got a quick question. I hear you guys talking about the what ifs. I don't know. I might have caught it late. I'm not sure if y'all said this already. Um, just thinking about I'm a big Saints fan and just thinking how uh, with people's emotions. What if Drew Brees would have went ahead and retired before, he, before the time everybody thought he was going to retire and Tom Brady would have came to the Saints because I heard that was the rumor. What if? How, what, how people's emotions would have been toward Tom Brady because I know a lot of people that don't like Tom Brady. How they feel if you became to the Saints? And Sean Payton still been the coach. That's just a just a little nugget I want to throw out there because it's fun to me listening to everybody talk about the what ifs. You, you, right, you talking about that 2017-2018 timeline? No, he's talking about 2020. Like instead of Drew playing 2020. Oh, when he wanted to retire, you're right. You're right. Because initially, after the 2019 season against the Vikings, like whenever they lost, yeah. Drew was like, mm, I don't know. Then he goes on the mountain, posts yeah, on Instagram, and, then, and is like, I'm coming back for another year. It's like, and then everybody was like, yeah, until we realized his arm was throwing about five to seven yards like Ben Roethlisberger. And then you're like, oh, we don't have any explosion. See, I still don't fully believe that that was a fault to Drew Brees' arm talent. I personally think Sean Payton closed up the playbook. What? <laughs> what? I've got my theories. We could talk Explain about Explain that. We, we, we could talk about it off the air. I've well, got my theories. We'll have to come back to that because that one, that is baffling. I've got my theories. The game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The red hot Houston Astros take on the Baltimore Orioles Saturday, August 27th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Take time out right here. When we return, we'll look at the 2022 Hall of Fame class. And at 4.30, David Harrison of the Locked On Bucks podcast will join us to give an insight on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Into crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. All right, James, let's look at the 2022 Hall of Fame class. And I'm going to start with Sam Mills. Okay. Uh, that's a fair one to start with. Because I've got some beef. Oh. I'm so sick and tired of people talking about Sam Mills and going, oh, he was a great Carolina Panther. (laughs) The dude played in Carolina for two years. Yes, he was an assistant coach on Carolina staff. Whoop-de-freaking-do. He played eight years with the Saints. Eight years. Three-fourths of his career was spent in New Orleans. And... You're going to refer to him. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but last night when they were introducing the class, there was never a picture of him in a Saints uniform. It was always a Carolina Panthers uniform. All the iconic photos are always of him in Carolina. Right. That's crap. Sam Mills is a Saint. And it's time for the world to view him that way. Makes me mad. Like, it's so weird because usually you, you usually identify someone with one team. Like, I get it. Brett Favre started his first year with the Falcons and then went to the Packers. And then he played for the Jets the one year and then finished his last two with the Vikings. But you, your iconic photos, more often than not, are him in a Packers uniform because he spent a majority of the time well, of there. Course. And then I have another question. One of his biggest seasons was in 94 when he had 155 tackles. How did he not make an all-pro team that year? 155 tackles. That's got to be close to the record for tackles in a season. I don't know what the record is. I'm not a I don't know the NFL history book cover to cover, but I've got to imagine that 155 is damn close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 156 by Ray Lewis in 97. Thank you. How is he not an all-pro that season? Wait, was that total tackles 155? That's combined, yeah. Okay. Ray Lewis's was... That was solo? Solo. He had 156 solo tackles. Yeah. That's insane. How many combined? That's what I'm looking at right now. Because that, that year in 94, when Sam Mills had 155, he had 115 solo. But even 115 solo, how is that not at least some kind of all-pro team? 184 total. 
That's. Then there were other seasons where he had 130 solo, but 165 combined. And then 114 in 2001, but had 162 combined. And now I'm also, I'm not sitting here and saying that, you know, Sam Mills doesn't deserve to be a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt that he does. I mean, his worst season in terms of tackles was 58. Even that's not a terrible season. No, that's like your linebacker two. Right. That that's an average that's average numbers. So I'm not questioning that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I just wish people would refer to him as a saint, not a Panther. That's a that's a fair point to make because I mean most pictures I see of Sam Mills is always a, of a him in a, in a Panthers uniform, and I don't know why. He only spent two years compared to the Eight nine, yeah. He play, I think he played eight years in New Orleans. He played nine years in New Orleans. Nine years in New Orleans, but he played the final three in Carolina because yeah. he played ninety five, ninety six, and ninety seven. Yeah. Still, does, it is, I, I agree. It's def, It's definitely weird. It is. It is um, weird because usually, where wherever they go for the majority wise, that's who you kind of fit. That's where you put the uniform on. Right. Next guy, Bryant Young. What a dude. 89 and a half sacks in his career. He forced 12 fumbles in his career. He had 519 solo tackles. He was a four-time Pro Bowler, won a Super Bowl. Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year. I mean, what what more can you can you say uh, about the, you know, the career of of Bryant Young? He spent his entire time with San Francisco from 94 to 07. His Best season in terms of solo tackles was in 96 when he had 61. He had 77, 76 total tackles that season. And he was the comeback player of the year in 99 after only playing 12 games the year before. Now what season was it that the... When did the Niners win that Super Bowl? What season was that? Was that 99? I think that was 99. The the last Super Bowl for the 49ers? Yeah. The one that the one that he won with them. Let me see. I can tell you. Maybe I can't tell you. I don't know. Anyways. 94. I thought it I thought so. 94? Yeah. His rookie season? Yeah. I didn't realize it had been that long since the Niners won a Super Bowl. Because it was 81, 84, 88, 89, 94, and then their last two they appeared in, but they lost. Right. 2012 and 2019. Right. Richard Seymour's the next guy. I mean, you remember him with that defense in, in uh, New England with him and Teddy Bruschi. I mean, that defense was nasty. Seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. He won three Super Bowls with New England. He finished up his career with the Raiders from 2009 to 2012. 57 and a half sacks in his career. You know, looking at a couple other guys, Cliff Branch, legendary wide receiver, he just passed away a couple years ago, four-time Pro Bowler, three-time Super Bowl champ. Tony Baselli, kind of cool story there. He was the first Jags draft pick, mm-hmm. and he's now the first Jag to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um I was a little shocked at the fact that he only played seven, seven years. seasons. Yeah, and he's it was in the a Hall lot, of Fame. It was a lot shorter than you expected, but 
He was he was very good but when he, he played. He was right. He was insane. He made five Pro Bowls in those seven years. I mean, you can't argue with those kinds of numbers. Leroy Br- Butler uh, invented I'd, the Lambo leap. Invented the Lambo leap. One of the best DBs to ever play the game. I mean, four time Pro Bowler, won a Super Bowl, and then. I saved this one for last because this is probably like my favorite guy in this year's class. It's Dick Vermeil. I mean, the guy won Coach of the Year. He won a Coach of the Year award seven times. Won a Super Bowl with the greatest show on turf. And just invented one of the greatest offenses that you've ever seen. That, that team with Kurt Warner in the 90s. I mean, that was unprecedented numbers that they were able to put up that season. He And then when he was in Philadelphia with Vince Papali, you know, that that's always a great story. The thing that, that blows my mind when you look at Dick Vermeil's career, so he spent seven years in Philly, brought Philly to a Super Bowl in, in 1980, and then after the 1982 season, he leaves pro football. Left pro football for 15 years. And then came back at the age of 61 to take over the Rams. And bring the Rams to a Super Bowl. And then immediately after the Rams won the Super Bowl, he took over the Kansas City Chiefs and coached them for five years before he retired in 2005. Just an unprecedented career across 15 years in the NFL. And, I mean, again, greatest show on turf. People say that that's the greatest NFL team to ever play. Yeah. How do you argue with that? It's hard, it's hard to argue against it. And then and then you had Art McNally as the, yeah, as the final. The rule, yeah, the rules official. What, 48 seasons in the NFL? Yeah, from 59 to 2015. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. That's impressive. Hall of Fame class getting enshrined tomorrow afternoon in the birthplace of football in Canton, Ohio. We'll take a time out right here, and when we return, David Harrison of the Locked On Bucks podcast will join us to take a look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You are listening to the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 5th, 1973. Atlanta Braves legendary pitcher Phil Necro no-hits the San Diego Padres in a 9-0 victory. It is the first no-hitter for the franchise in Atlanta. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. It's time to talk some Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's do it with our guy, David Harrison, the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. David, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate the invite. Happy to, to yeah. Now, you know, question number one, looking at the headlines in, in the world of the NFL today, Mike Evans left practice today with a 
with an injury. You know, what's the latest yeah. on that story? Uh, unconfirmed, you know, by the team, and, and, and you know, I guess so un- unofficially, uh, just kind of a minor hamstring pull, nothing that's going to be uh, long-lasting or something that will keep him out, you know, into the regular season or anything to really to, to kind of sweat over at this point in time. And Mike, honestly, during his throughout, throughout his career, it, it seems like every season, uh, if not every season, just about every season, he's got some sort of a hamstring issue that kind of pops up, but, you know, hasn't stopped him. Uh, so far from, from collecting 1,000-yard seasons. And, and at this point in time, this one doesn't seem like it's going to be the one that does it. Tom Brady seems like a, I mean, just a, just a robot to the rest of us. Uh, yeah. Ripe age of 45 years old, still slinging a football. Talk about, you know, just you know, getting to cover him and, you know, what he brings to, to this organization. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, it, it, brings, it brings a whole new level – uh, of attention to basically everything and, and everything that's said and everything that isn't said, you know, and and uh, all the all the Tom Brady fans from New England and from around, you know, the sports world came with him, uh, which obviously uh, is very helpful and, and very appreciative. But also, so did the haters, and so did the conspiracy theorists, and and all those. And those have definitely bled into some of the things uh, that have happened with with uh, Buccaneers coverage over the the last couple of years, and surely will uh, in this season as well. I mean, uh, even going as far as that the comeback against the Rams was orchestrated, you know, by league officials because they didn't want Tom Brady to go out in a blowout loss type of type of situation. So just uh, it's an interesting world. But then it's at the same time you look at the team and you know before Brady arrived, like this was a team that just every year it was like they won the off season and they drafted really good players or or made some signings. Deshaun Jackson coming in was supposed to unlock everything Jameis Winston was was missing in his career, and you know they just always fell short for one reason or another. So. To see Tom come in, obviously he's going to get a lot of credit, and he does from you know fans, media, the players themselves. Uh, but you know, by and large, something that we try to remind people of is when you look at this roster, a lot of these guys were on the team before Tom arrived. They needed that leader, that catalyst to really bring them together and and kind of uh, get the best out of them all. But you know, the team by and large was put together before Tom arrived, and he just made them uh, the champions that they've become. Looking in the backfield, you know, you have Leonard Fournette return. You do lose Ronald Jones Jr., but you bring in Giovanni Bernard. You know, kind of talk about this backfield. Yeah, the backfield is really exciting. Leonard Fournette, you know, he looks he looks really good. I know there was all the, the talk about him being overweight and, and all those things, but he came into training camp fit and, and ready to go, and he's showing out in training camp so far. Gio, kind of that consistent veteran. Everybody kind of knows what you're going to get out of him. Uh, and then you've got the rookie Rashad White out of Arizona State that's come in and really impressed people as a – uh, showing some, some three-down potential himself and looking like he's probably going to take that second job away from Keyshawn Vaughn, who was kind of hoping to take that next step uh, into filling in for that Ronald Jones position. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, with with the injury to Ryan Jensen up front, the, the running back group now is going to have a heavier, you know, burden put on them to make sure they protect, especially up the middle, uh, as teams try to get a Brady through uh, what they're going to view at least early in the season until this this group can, can prove themselves as a soft middle of the offensive line with all these new new faces. You know, you talk, you hit on Ryan Jensen. What's the latest on him with that knee injury? Yeah, it's still you know the uh, the uh, the Bucks really aren't going to give I think a solid answer until they're really required to by league rules and, and all those things. And that's pretty much what we expected I think from the jump. But so far, the best quote we have from head coach Todd Bowles is. He's going to miss at least a couple of months, you know, which of course brings everybody back to Vita Vea when he got injured uh, a couple years ago during the Super Bowl season against Chicago Bears, and he ends up being able to come back for the NFC Championship game and then eventually help them uh, win the Super Bowl. So 
it's it's kind of you know I think all the the Bucks fans are holding out for that type of uh, maybe riding you know riding back into it at the last minute and helping kind of push the team over the top there during the postseason. The media, uh, he's just you know he's one of those likable guys. He's one of those guys that you really want to see successful, uh, just a down to earth you know professional on the field and off the field and interacting with the community and the media. So everybody's heart you know broke for him because uh, we know what he puts into this and we know uh, how much he you know how much he, he really cares about what he's doing with that team. So hope, hopefully that is the news and we can see him uh, get back on the field, you know, maybe early January, if not into the playoffs. Looking at receivers, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin are, are kind of the mainstays in that receiving core. You bring in mm-hmm. Julio Jones and then at wide receiver, I mean, at, at tight end, you brought in Kyle Rudolph. You already had Cameron Brait. You know, just kind of talk about the skill players that uh, that Tom Brady has to work with. Yeah, it's an interesting bunch because I think you have kind of a mixture of new energy. You know, Russell Gage also coming over from the Atlanta Falcons, but then uh, veteran consistency. And it, it's, it's funny because in, in an NFL that really uh, emphasizes versatility and electricity and ability, you know, chunk plays and burst and, and all these things, uh, the Buccaneers have kind of looked at their roster and said, you know, we have kind of a good mixture of that. you got Russell Gage now. you got Scotty Miller, uh, who looks healthier than ever. Jalen Darden obviously has some wheels. Uh, and then in the tight end room, you bring in K. Dot and Co. Keith, who honestly everybody expected basically to be a road grader, but it turns out he's actually got some some ability as a pass catcher uh, as well. Who knew? So you know now you bring in Kyle Rudolph, and you know he's not going to be like the next Travis Kelsey or anything, you know, but he can be a stabilizing force to really kind of be a consistent voice in that room, along with the veteran experience, Cam Brayton, Julio. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. You know, early reports would tell you that like you know the old Julio is there and he's looking really great and all those things and. And you love to believe it, but, you know, it's, it's still Julio Jones. You kind of have the history that you have in, in more recent years. So I think the expectations have to be tapered a little bit because of that. But, uh, you know, at, at worst case, you have a really solid number four type receiver or red zone threat uh, that is a veteran that has to be respected no matter how many games he's played and, and how his production has dipped over the last couple of years. Chatting with David Harrison, the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Looking at the defense, you know, you, you hit on Vita Vea earlier. He comes back up front you got a nasty linebacking core with Levante David and Devin White and then the secondary I mean Logan Ryan Sean Murphy Bunting Antoine Winfield I yeah. could I could go on but my point's been made you know talk talk about this defense for the Bucks coming into 2022 uh, it's a good group you know there's, there's a lot of confidence in there and, and you lose some key veterans some leaders some really strong voices in the locker room you know Dominic and Sue not coming back and Jason Pierre-Paul uh, also not coming back, Jordan Whitehead leaving uh, for the New York Jets. But I think they brought in a good mixture of talent. That that safety position is going to kind of be, I think, the biggest question coming in, you know, even replacing Adam Kinsu with Akeem Hicks and Logan Hall. Again, you kind of have that mixture of youthful excitement and veteran presence uh, like we kind of hit on before. But in that safety group, you got kind of a, three, a three-headed attack with Mike Edwards, who knows the system better than the other two because he's not new to it and he understands the calls, the reads, and, and all those things, and he's a little bit of a combination of pass defender, and he can he can kind of stack the box a little bit if you really need him to. But then you got Keanu Neal, who just recently played linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, but also is moving back to safety where he played in Atlanta uh, for them for so many years. But he's going to be more kind of your traditional strong safety, maybe like a Buffalo nickel that's getting more and more popular in the in the league. And then you got Logan, who's kind of your pure cover guy who can sit back there with Antoine Winfield, but also can make some plays and, and run support if if you need to. So it's going to be interesting to see how Todd Bowles uh, really kind of orchestrates that three-man group within his defense because he's already one of the more creative defensive coordinators 
uh, in the NFL. And honestly, I almost wonder if that approach, because uh, we found out they didn't really make an effort to keep Jordan Whitehead. Jordan is a little bit limited in some of the things he can do, but now you have three players that you can kind of mix, mix and match based on what's happening in front of you. And I think that with the uh, New Orleans Saints, um, you know, the, the versatility that they have already in their attack, but then you have, you know, Michael Thomas coming back, Chris Olave is looking amazing in training camp already. Uh, Saints can throw a lot at you, so I think that really this, this could be geared at kind of getting at the, the, the big monster and, and they're sitting the Buccaneer story so far uh, and trying to make sure that they have what it takes to stack up against whatever the Saints draw up offensively. Do you, you know, from a media perspective yet still covering the the team, you know, do you feel like the Buccaneers are, are still a contender for the Super Bowl here in 2022? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely do. And then, you know, some of that is some of that has to do with kind of how the NFC is, has fallen off a little bit, I guess, compared to the AFC. I mean, the AFC is, is just stacked with juggernauts, it looks like. Uh, these days in the NFC, you really kind of have, you still kind of have these two or three teams up at the top, the Bucks, Rams. You know, some people put the Packers up there. I'm a little bit weary, uh, maybe what the Packers are going to do without Devontae Adams, how quickly those rookies uh, that are in the wide receiver group kind of uh, pick up. And then usually people put the Saints in that second tier. Um, but honestly, I think the Saints, if, if I had to pick a top three, personally, I would probably go Bucks, Rams, Saints, because uh, I think the Saints, the, the Saints very quietly somehow added guys like Tyron Matthew and then. Uh, talking about some of those receivers that they're getting back, and obviously, you know, depending on what happens with Alvin Kamara, but uh, I think the Saints are, are definitely a team that that needs to be reckoned with in the NFC. But I think that when you go team to team to team, any of them could beat any of them in, in any given situation. And you know, the good news about all that is that each of those teams has actually proven that at some point in recent history with current rosters, current coaching staffs, uh, maybe not in the same positions, but at least on staff. Uh, in, in, in recent memory, so you know that those competitions are going to be very good, very hard fought, uh, and, and either team could win depending on how the ball breaks. Thank you. Somebody else agrees <laughs> that the Saints are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Thank you. David Hudson <laughs> of the Locked On Bucks podcast. David, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say that I root for the Bucks, but I, I'll say that I respect yeah. the Bucks. And. Yes, uh, you know, we'll talk to you down the line this season, my friend. Absolutely appreciate it. We'll take a time out and wrap up hour number one. On the other side, you're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We want to remind you about the third annual Southside Shark Frenzy taking place next Saturday, August 13th. It is a auction event for Southside High. The money raised for this event will benefit the Southside band and football team to help fund operations for travel, equipment, and more. Attendees will enjoy dinner, drinks, music, dark games, raffles, live and silent auctions, and more. They are still looking for 
item auctions. So anything you can donate would be appreciated. Once again, Saturday, August 13th from 6 to 10 at the Youngsville Sports Complex. Tickets are on sale until Monday. And you can head to shsharkfrenzy.weebly.com. James, breaking news via, well, I I see it from NFL Rumors on Twitter. Uh, Autopsy finds that Broncos' Demario Davis died of complications of a seizure disorder. Yeah, I remember that being a complication like later the last couple of years of his life after retiring. So that that is uh that is the latest ruling from the autopsy. Smoke Monday has also posted on Instagram. First of all, let me just say that I'd want to thank thank the Saints organization to for providing me the chance of a lifetime to come and showcase my godly ability. I want to set the record straight for anyone who might have concerns about my knee. I have suffered a torn ACL and will miss the season, but I want everyone to know I'm doing great and in good spirits and will be having surgery very soon. I'm planning to use this time to get healthier and continue to learn the system inside and out. Just want to say thanks to everyone who has had my back. Trust that I'll be ten times stronger when I return. God only gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers, and I am unquestionably one of them. So, not the greatest news, but the fact that he's in good spirits and knows that he's going to be back better than ever is a good sign for Smoke Monday, which, by the way, has a funny Instagram handle. It's before Tuesday. That's kind of funny. That's actually really good. So, we'll keep you updated on the Smoke Monday scenario. We've also got in our number two, Jake Crane, the host of Crane & Company. He's going to join us for Crane's take, for Jake's Takes. We're going to get his thoughts on college football, the Hall of Fame game last night, the baseball moves at the trade deadline earlier this week, and so much more. That's going to go down in hour number two. We've only got 40 minutes of hour number two as the Astros play at 6-10 from Cleveland. Last night winning 6 to nothing, looking to make it three in a row for the Astros. Trey Mancini batting fifth in the lineup. We'll keep an eye on any roster or lineup changes for the Astros as they shifted a couple people around last minute yesterday. Hour number one, come and gone. Hour number two here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 in Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hour number two will kick off right after this top-of-the-hour sports update. Once again, Jake Crane of Crane & Company. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our number two of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. It's a Friday fun show. We have fun each and every... We have fun every day, but we really... James and I like to turn it up to another level on a Friday. Get you ready for your weekend. And let's do it with Jake's Takes, Crane and Company's Jake Crane joining us. Jake, what's going on, bud? How are you? What's going on, fellas? Appreciate y'all having me. 
you know, it's always great when I come on because it means it's Friday. And not because it's the end of the work week, but because that means we're getting closer to a Saturday that's closer to football season. Absolutely. You know, that that's gonna be that's gonna be when the real fun kicks in for us because we're gonna actually have college football to uh to, to throw around. But we'll we'll start here, you know, training fall camps for a lot of college teams opened this week and you know LSU already had to to throw out some breaking news with the fact that Trey Bradford is, is no longer on their roster but the question that I have for you and I know you saw this being you're an Auburn guy Brian Harson handing out t-shirts to the media at Auburn practice today a year after he handed out hats to the media what do you what do you make of all of that you know, it's it's kind of like when Rick uh, when uh, Ricky Bobby was in the car and his dad put a cougar in there. Sometimes you got to ride with the fear. Uh, you know, he's he's trolling the guys that trolled him last year because at this point, the man's really got nothing to lose. He knows he has to win eight games most likely, or if he's going to win seven, it better be the right seven. But you know, I can even tell at SEC media days. You know, when we talked to him, he was a lot different than the media day before. Uh, I think he's kind of like, you know what? At this point, I'm just going to embrace it. I'm going to have fun with it, uh, and it kind of is what it is. I like it. You know what I'm saying? I, I like it. You know, he's very militaristic, I guess, is a good way to put it last season uh, with kind of the way he handled the media. And now after the absolute, you know, storm that we saw in the offseason, I like him kind of embracing the madness a little bit. Now, uh, you, you, the the way you ended that with the word madness is a great segue into the next question. You know, Deshaun Watson getting a six-game suspension from Sue L. Robinson. The NFL clearly wasn't pleased with that because they're appealing it. And they bring in another, they bring in a former attorney general to hear this appeal. My question to you is, are they really expecting a different result? Well, I, I think the whole process is so screwed up. I mean, you tell you mean to tell me that you're going to give Calvin Ridley a full year and Deshaun Watson has 24 women come out against him. He settles with 23 of them, will probably settle with the 24th, and he's going to get six games. But it doesn't surprise me because this is the same league that was going to give Ray Rice two games for having a UFC fight with his wife in the elevator and then dragging her out by her hair. But I don't understand why Sue Robinson's even in this process. Why did y'all add a middleman that doesn't matter? It just the NFL to me. It trips me out because they try and be the morality police and the, the champion of this, these people's rights, those people's rights, and they don't practice what they preach. It's all just talk. But I, the process is so screwed up. So now you're going to have a. You brought Sue Robinson in. She told you what she thought. I was surprised it was six. I was surprised it wasn't longer. So now you're going to appeal your own person, and then have another former attorney general here. It's just the most backwards process. But, guys, it's par for the course. Roger Goodell's in charge of punishing the people that he worked for, the owners. Name another business where the branch manager can punish the CEO, and I'll hang up and listen. That's absolutely 100% spot on because what what happened was when the NFL announced the appeal – under the collective bargaining agreement, Goodell had the option to step in and hear the appeal himself, which I 100% expected to happen since they wanted a longer suspension than six games. But now what my thought process is, say Peter Harvey only gives 
Watson six games yet again, or maybe even less. Then what? Yeah, well, well, I feel like it was a reaction. Because, like, like, look, it, it's all about optics and PR. We know that. Everybody knows that. They saw the reaction from the six games because I didn't think they were going to appeal it. But I thought if they did appeal it, there's no way Roger Goodell wasn't going to pass this off to somebody else, which the dude gets paid $40 million, $60 million, something a year, to really just pass stuff off to other people. Uh, so, so when I look at it, it was, it was reactionary to me. Uh, and then, you know, Schefter reported the NFL is looking at an indefinite suspension. That let me knew it was really about PR. But there's no way they do that to Deshaun because they are in the business of making money. And the more franchises that have good pub or have a big-time player that comes in, i.e. Deshaun Watson, that's going to make a lot of money for the Cleveland Browns. It's going to sell tickets. It's going to sell jerseys. It's going to sell concessions. And when the Cleveland Browns make money, the NFL makes money. That's what this is all about. This isn't about going to find some ultimate truth or standing up for, for justice or anything like that. It's how can they wiggle their way out of this and not look bad. That's, that's exactly what it is. Staying on the topic of the NFL, you know, the Hall of Fame game last night between the Raiders and the Jags, it was a great night for the Raiders, and it was another Thursday for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What, what were your <laughs> thoughts on, on that game? Well, it was a great night for the over. I mean, that was a hell of a sweat at 30-and-a-half, man. Of course, it was at 30 points with about three-and-a-half to go, and the Raiders' DB totally missed the ball um, on that uh, swing pass they threw for the touchdown because they had picked themselves basically by alignment. But, you know, preseason, I'm just glad we had football. Like, I don't care that the starters didn't play. I don't care that Derek Carr wasn't out there, you know, playing catch with Devontae Adams, which is going to be very interesting to watch considering they played together at Fresno State. So the chemistry's built in. Uh, but, look, it was good to have football. You know, the weather delay, that kind of sucked. But, again, it is what it is. You, you can't really tell a lot from these preseason games. You've seen teams that have gone undefeated in the preseason, fell flat in their face in the regular season, and vice versa. So uh, I was just glad to see football on. I was glad to see a guy that I coached, Makai Sargent, uh, get, get some uh, play in there for the Jaguars, had a few, caught a few good screen passes, had a few good runs. So uh, it was just good to have football back, man. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Chatting with Jake Crane here of Crane and Company. Now, looking at some betting odds for college football. I know I know this is this is one of your many fortes. So, these odds are provided from Caesar Sportsbook. These are undervalued bets that should be taken in 2022. North Carolina is currently at plus 2000 to win the ACC championship. Would you, would you bite on that? You know, I think it's a value play. I mean, it's not bad. You know, put a little put a little coin on it, sprinkle some on it. I like to, you know, diversify my portfolio uh, as well. You know, we actually did our ACC uh, predictions this week, the Coastal and the Atlantic. North Carolina does have a lot of talent. Now, I know Sam Howell's gone, but if you look, especially on the defensive side with Gene Chizik coming in, a guy who's a whole heck of a lot better coordinator than he is head coach, great guy, but that's just, you know, it is what it is. They have talent. Josh Downs at receiver is an NFL player all day. Uh, they've got a couple other guys outside. They've got a couple backs. Mac Brown, you know, has done a really good job recruiting there, kind of revitalizing that program. I, I think it's a good value play. I wouldn't go nuts on it, but I'll tell you this much. Uh, well, I don't know what Miami's sitting at right now, but I feel like Miami's going to have a pretty freaking good season. i got them winning their division. Now, uh, another one that, that I find interesting in this list that – I know you would be intrigued with is looking at the SEC, Florida, 
plus 5,000 to win the SEC? <laughs> well, you know, look, look again, it's, it's a high number, but I think you might as well just throw your money out the window of the interstate. They don't have the roster right now. They, they just don't. And it's weird putting those words in that order and having them come out of my mouth, considering the amount of talents in the state of Florida, the way Florida's recruited. I don't think people realize, you know, Dan Mullen wasn't just fired because of the win-loss record. He was fired because of the trajectory of recruiting, you know, the loss of momentum that they've had in that same area. Uh, I actually got Florida going 4-4, four and four, I believe, in conference play. I think they'll have a little bit of a better year than what people are thinking. But I feel like that one's kind of a stretch. Now, the other day, Nick Saban talked about how Alabama was rebuilding in, in 2021, which seems to kind of contradict things because for years Alabama's been that team that never rebuilds. They just reload. And yeah, you know, yeah, some- you know I, I, I led with this today. Here's, here's my thing. I, I think he's 100% right. Because, again, you can call it rebuilding. You can call it reloading. If you really look at the word, there's not a ton of difference. Now, in the sports verse, you think reloading means that you're not going to have that great of a team. But they had six first-round picks, okay? Two second-round picks. Hell, even the long snapper got drafted. But they weren't just, just players. They're starters in the NFL. Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Alex Leatherwood, Najee Harris. Patrick Sertan, I can go down the list. That, that was po- one of the greatest teams we have ever seen in college football. So you have a new quarterback you're breaking in in Bryce Young. You have to kind of reshuffle the offensive line. You lose your best skill players. I know they've recruited well, but you know I, I don't think he's too off base there. I, and it's funny, you have people saying, oh, well, you know, he wasn't rebuilding, but those are the same people that said it was the best coaching job Nick Saban ever did last year. So I don't see how those two things can go hand in hand. And you know, I saw Feinbaum the other day going on TV, and he's like, oh, well, you know, Nick Saban makes an excuse every time it doesn't go his way. Well, go back and look at even what he cited. Nick Saban came out and said he didn't like NIL because he felt like it wasn't good for the game. Turns out he's right, but he embraced it because he has to, just like Davos having to embrace it even though he doesn't want to, whether it's the portal or it's NIL. They go back and say, oh, well, 2014 Sugar Bowl loss against Oklahoma, you called it a consolation game. Well, yeah, it was a consolation game. Alabama's standard's so high, if they're not playing the game that gets them to the natty or playing in the natty, it is a consolation game. Hell, Auburn playing UCF in 2017 was a consolation game in the New Year's Six Bowl. Some programs have higher standards, and it is what it is. So I, I actually push back against that a little bit. I think he calls it like he sees it, and most of the times if you actually look and dig in, he's right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I don't think that – Saban's a excuse maker, um, but you know it's funny. You you talked about a, a quarterback that Nick Saban had to to bring in and develop in Bryce Young. Yet that guy ended up to win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Well, again, you know, it's I, I think that's more towards the culture and development. Because look, there's three pillars if you're trying to build a dominant program that you have to hit. The order it goes is recruiting, development, and culture. You recruit the right guys. They obviously have to be talented. You know how to develop them. That turns into your culture. All Alabama does every year, and Kirby's doing it now with Georgia. A&M's trying to do it with Jimbo. Ohio State's been doing it. You turn it into a machine, and all you do is plug good players in it. You develop them. Your culture's already set, and you go out and beat the hell out of people. Brian Kelly's trying to do that at LSU right now because that's what Nick did at LSU. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Let's go to the MLB now. 
trade deadline earlier this week. Obviously, the the biggest story being the Padres end up with both Juan Soto and Josh Bell. The Padres, on paper, they might be one of the best lineups we've ever seen in baseball, but you and I both know that they're the Padres. They're going to find a way to screw it up. Yeah, you know, they they went all in, and i got to give them credit. You know, they're trying to make it. They're obviously still on the hunt. You look at that pitching staff, too. Manea's a good arm. Uh, Hugh Darvish, you know, he's a good arm. They've got some some depth in the bullpen. Uh, I still think it's the Dodgers to lose. As the Braves fan, I just didn't want him to go to the Dodgers because I just do not think we will be seeing the Padres in the NLCS. I think it's going to be a collision course. I know the Braves have kind of struggled a little bit, and the Mets look good, but we all know the Mets are going to fall apart post Malone style here sooner rather than later, so I'm just waiting on that. But, yeah, it's, it's great for San Diego to go all in. They lost the Chargers, so all focus is on baseball, and good for them. What were your thoughts on the Braves locking up Austin Riley long term? Look, Alex Anthopoulos is the Dumbledore of, of Major League Baseball GMs. I mean, he's, I will not question any move that that man makes. I mean, last year, bringing in Duvall, Rosario, uh, the moves that he made uh, to towards the deadline absolutely paid off. I like Oda Rizzi being a veteran arm that comes in. Uh, you know, a, they bring in the closer, Iglesias, to kind of, you know, jumpstart the back end of that bullpen as well. I just don't want to see Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson out there blowing it for everybody. You're welcome on the Jake Odorizzi move, by the way. Uh, uh, listen, look, I appreciate you, dog. I, I owe you a cold soda. But we were uh, we, we were glad to get Will Smith back. And then, I mean, how can you turn down a deal with a guy like Trey Mancini? No, uh, look, I, Trey Mancini, you talk about prison break. He went from the outhouse to the penthouse real quick. Everybody was like, oh, I feel so sad for Trey Mancini. If I'm Trey Mancini, I'm hitting the gritty on the way to Houston. <laughs> I actually get to play, get out of that dysfunctional organization and go have a chance to play for a championship because everybody's high on the Yankees. I'm high on them too, but Houston's lineup and that pitching staff with what Verlander's doing, I mean, they're hotter than a fat kid in the first sleeping bag at summer camp right now. So I wouldn't count out the Astros by any stretch of the imagination. We'll close with this. You know, we're talking about Trey Mancini. I, I saw a statistic. So Camden Yards, they pushed back the left field wall. What was it? 25 yeah. feet, I think it was. His 10 home runs this season in Baltimore would have been 24 had he played in Houston all season. Yeah, you know, there was that old college baseball game where you could build your own ballpark. Right. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, and, and, you know, you could push the walls back and push the fences up. The, the Orioles did that for a reason. It's the same reason why the Yankees basically have a little league field uh, on the right side. Really, Fenway does too. But I, I think you're going to see the home run numbers jump, and it's a great – it's the opposite of Coors Field. It's a great place to, to go to be a pitcher, but Coors Field's a great place to go to be a hitter. And now going to Houston where the ball flies like Peter Pan, uh, I think he's going to be pretty happy there. Jake Crane, the host of Crane and Company. All right, I know, I know, you don't want to give away too much, but but let let the folks know, you know, what's going down on Crane and Company next week. Oh yeah, man. Well, look, it's all college football now and NFL. You know, we're we're very excited to be able to talk about the NFL now this year. It used to be the J Boy Show. We're now the Sports Show for the Daily Wire and Ben Shapiro. But we don't really talk politics at all. It's straight ball. So uh, we're gonna have a bunch of guests from the SEC on. Uh, we've thrown out basically our predictions for everything, but the packet in twelve. Uh, we'll throw those out next week. So if you like talking ball, if you like a uh, good guest and having a good time and making fun of my brother's mustache on the show, I think you'll love it. Okay, you, you brought it up. I have to ask you, why Why is Blaine so, you know, in love with that mustache? 
Well, you know, when we were at SEC Media Days, Peter Burns had one, and we right. had Peter on, and him and Blaine made a deal that Blaine would get a mustache. So Blaine got the mustache, and he's been hot as a firecracker in betting right now. We do a ton of betting stuff. I mean, he, I think he was up like 13, 14 units last month. He's 6-2 and two already this month. So he's not cutting that thing until the magic runs out. Jake Crane of Crane & Company joining us here on this Friday. Jake, appreciate you as always, my man. We'll do it again next week. Anytime, guys. Appreciate y'all. Alex Anthopoulos is the Dumbledore of Major League Baseball and sweating more than a fat kid in a sleeping bag at summer camp. The, the similes and metaphors that that kid comes up with is absolutely impressive. Falling apart. Post Malone style. <laughs> that's, that's. I mean, that's just. It's. it's how do great. you? How do you come up with? This it's stuff? great. And I, I, I've asked him that. I've asked him that because if you listen to his show and you listen to the monologues that he does off the top of the show, it's joke after joke after joke, just like that. And I've always. How do you come up with it? It, it's it's impressive. It, it really is. Uh, Crane & Company on the Daily Wire on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast if you want to check them out. Another thing I want to talk to you guys about before we take a timeout is the newest place to hang out in Youngsville. It's the Hangout Sports Pub, 1004 Fortune Road, right there off of Bonin. Neighborhood bar owned by a really good dude. Great food, drink specials, live music on the weekends. He's going to have all the NFL and college games on the TVs. And then, if you're a soccer guy, Casey's also a soccer fan. Starting tomorrow with the opening of the Premier League, Casey told me that on Saturdays during the soccer season, he's going to open at 6.30 in the morning to play Premier League games, and he's going to have specials on Bloody Marys and Mimosas. So... If you're a soccer guy or a football guy or just a sports guy in general and want to have a good time, Hangout Sports Pub, 1004 Fortune Road in Youngsville. Again, live entertainment, drink specials daily, great food, including pepper jack boudin balls. It's Youngsville's newest place to hang out with friends and catch all the games. It's the Hangout Sports Pub, and if you go, tell them that Miguez and Mesh sent you. Take a time out when we return we have audio from Ragin' Cajun's Media Day yesterday as they started fall camp today. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. From the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes. Like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. The only way to score these great prizes is by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so why don't you go sign up today? All right, James, start, bench, or cut. You ready? 
Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb. Start bench cut. Starting Jamar, benching Justin, cutting C.D. Yep, I agree 100%. Now, the, the first comment on this post is what drives me absolutely crazy. Cutting Jefferson, LMAO, worst one there talent-wise, and he only lives off of Kirk Cousins' production. What? Kirk Cousins produces? Since when do we give Kirk Cousins credit? Cousins produces? He is anything, he holds Justin back. The best phrase I've ever heard when somebody talks about Kirk Cousins is he is the most overpaid and underperforming player in the league. And then that there are just a bunch of other Kirk Cousins in the league like Daniel Jones' clumsy Kirk Cousins. Carson Wentz's injured Kirk Cousins. For the amount... Now, if you look at Kirk Cousins' numbers, his numbers aren't, you know, terrible. No, but when you look at actual games when it really matters... Well, not only that, but then when you look at the amount of money that he's getting paid... You kidding me? There's no comparison. Kirk is terrible. I would not I would not draft him with a three foot pole. How he made a Pro Bowl last season is beyond me. Further proves my point that the Pro Bowl is overrated and really means nothing anymore. But the fact that somebody would think that Justin Jefferson is, A, the worst one of the three, I'm sorry. I don't buy the CeeDee Lamb hype. He's a good receiver. I think he's a very good receiver. But if you had if you had me, if you asked me, it's almost like what three starter Pokemon would you rather? Would you rather uh, Charmander, Squirtle, or... Uh, forgot the other one but it's pretty much that i would rather the younger one with the the most upside and the most talent because jamar jamar's the youngest and he's better than both justin and cd talent wise agreed okay so his, his last year justin jefferson's last year at lsu that that national championship year he caught 111 passes for 1,540 yards and 18 touchdowns. Averaged 14 yards a catch. Okay? Bulbasaur, by the way. Oh, okay. And since he's gotten to the NFL, in two years, he has made two Pro Bowls, one Rookie of the Year, and has gone over 50, has gone over 1,400 yards twice. In his rookie season, he had 1,400 yards and 7 touchdowns. And this past season, he had 1,600 yards and 10 touchdowns. And you're going to tell me that C.D. Lamb's better? I'm not buying that. And I never will. I'm never going to agree with that. Because poor C.D. Lamb, he's in a pretty crappy situation, first of all. I don't... Look, I, I don't think it's that bad. I don't, I don't, it's not as great as it was last year because you lose Amari Cooper, so now you're the wide receiver one. But we expected CD to be the wide receiver one and slowly take over. 
That's that's what we all expected. You're not going to invest a first-round pick in a receiver if you don't expect him to be the focal point of your offense outside. Well, I don't disagree with Zeke. that. I don't disagree with that. It's not as great as it was before, but it's like, look, if you're going to take that next step forward, we need you to prove it, and we're going to get compensation for getting rid of our other wide receiver one. Now, I'm not knocking C.D. Lamb. He's a talented receiver. He's a he's a thousand yard guy. He's he's one of the top receivers in the league. He's not better than Jamar or Justin. No shot. He's not better than Michael Thomas. More electric? Maybe. More efficient? No. Healthy Michael Thomas? No. Um healthy Michael Thomas, I still believe, is the top receiver in the NFL. I've said that for a long time now. Now, does a guy like Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson give him a run at that title? For sure. Devontae Adams is up there also. But it, a, and, he, and here's the thing. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but here's the thing. Justin Jefferson's put up 3,000 yards in his first two seasons. CD's put up 2,000. Jamar's got... 17 touchdowns compared to CD's 11. And that's yep. and and that's with Dallas is more of a pass first offense whereas the for the last 2 years it's been a it's been a mainly run heavy offense with you only running mainly two receiver sets and in J- Minnesota. And Jamar did that in a year. Yeah. Jamar did that with just as much competition as CD did on the outside. Jamar did that in a year after sitting out a year. You can say, oh, well, he worked out and, you know, he he worked out with different guys and blah, blah. That's great. You have to. The but dude it's didn't different play from being between in- the lines for over 365 days. And then he comes out and goes for 1450 and 13 touchdowns? And are having a... Are you kidding me? 13 reception, 256-yard game for three touchdowns? I mean, does your quarterback help a lot? Absolutely. Of course. But Jamar Chase... Jamar Chase is the best one out of the three. Talent-wise, receiver-wise, football IQ, all of it. Having good surrounding talent shouldn't deduct you from any sort of credit you have. Yeah, but to to most people it does. And I don't understand that argument. It's like, what, you want me to be the only good thing on my team and I mean, then somehow win? Come look at, on. Look at that comment about Come Justin on. Jefferson. Oh, he was only so good because of Kirk Cousins' production. First of all, what production? He has two top receivers in this league. Say what you want about Adam Thielen. He's a machine. You have two high-level receivers in the NFL and yet you can barely get 4,000 yards? He threw 33 touchdowns to seven interceptions. He's in a weak division in the NFC North other than He's the a Packers. very weak division. Granted, that touchdown-interception ratio is good. It that's, is. A, that's great. It's a very good, but you can't look at it just from that. Right. You actually have to watch the film and watch the tape. And when you watch it, when it comes down to you actually watching him on national TV on Sunday Night Football... Or any time when he, where the big lights are the bed. he craps the bed. That's what I don't get. What, how is Kirk Cousins being given credit? Cool. He threw for 4,200 yards. It's a lot easier to throw for 4K nowadays. 
A lot easier. Oh, yeah. It's also a lot easier when you got Dalvin Cook and Al- Alexander Madison as your running backs, and all you're doing is just having everyone else block, and you just have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen just get open down the intermediate and deep. It's easy to throw that. Doing play action rollouts, you got a clear open space. You can see all the you can see the field a lot better. I don't care if you're a tall quarterback or not. It's a lot easier to see the field when you're past the hashes and near the near the sideline. You can see and you're like, oh, Justin's open going in between the corner and the safety when it's a cover two. Yeah. I I again I it's a, I mean, it's I, a lot easier. It's a lot easier to play off the run. I am I am not That's why you do it buying into the, the, the Kirk Cousins conversation because I just think that that's a, an absolute load of crap. I mean, that's uh, to say that Justin Jefferson was only good because of his quarterback, the kid won Rookie of the Year. His quarterback didn't do that. His quarterback helped him for sure. Well, you, your I quarterback mean, well, doesn't win you Rookie of the Year. I was going to say, but what do you want the quarterback to do? Not throw you the ball? Well, right. Like, quarterback doesn't win you rookie of the year. I don't get that argument. How many yards did Justin Jefferson have after the catch in his in his NFL in his um his rookie his rookie season of the year? He won rookie of the year. That's a statistic I'd like to know. How many yards did he have after the catch? He had a seventy point four percent catch percentage. That's pretty solid. You had 15.9 yards per catch in his rookie year. He played in 16 games, started 14. He was targeted 125 times and had 88 catches. Those are impressive numbers. Now, he didn't win the AP Rookie of the Year award, but he was voted the Rookie of the Year by Sporting News. So, I mean, say what you want. The AP might be the award that the NFL recognizes the most, but he was handed a Rookie of the Year award. Again, whether he won the AP award or not is is really irrelevant in my opinion. He was an MVP. He was a Rookie of the Year. Um, update the poll question really quick. Favorite Saints memory? Seventy five percent of you say the Super Bowl. Twenty five percent of you say the rebirth. Yeah, the, I mean, those two are obvious choices, right? I mean, the, the night that the Saints come back after Katrina and then, of course, your one and only Super Bowl in, in franchise history, that's obvious choices. Drew breaking the record, I'm surprised that didn't get any love. The first playoff win with Aaron Brooks, I'm kind of surprised that didn't get any votes either. Um, want to take this opportunity to thank our guest for today, David Harrison, co-host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. He also hosts Locked On Commanders. He does great work. And, of course, Jake Crane, the the host of Crane & Company, he will join us each and every Friday from now until February. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a big old hug to your mom and them. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Astros and the Guardians are next. Let's send it to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks.